Welcome to Spitfire and Sass. Divine discernment and worldly defiance. Pursue truth, wisdom, and joy, and live free for entertainment only. So last week, we began our multi-show series on freeing the mind. We discussed the untamed mind, which happens automatically when we don't keep a vigilant watch over our thoughts, as well as how this keeps us in a default state of being worldly focused. And we also touched on the trappings of groupthink. This week, we're going to take a look at how important it is to keep the right things in focus, reject labeling, and truly see things clearly, because a lack of effort here can sometimes mean life or death. We have already seen that we are presented with a choice in our everyday lives, moment by moment even. We can live by the old ways, which are essentially worldly focused, regimented, expected, and patterned, or we can trust Jesus and renew our mind so that our reality stems from a new way of thinking, from a more open, opportunistic, and faithful place. In the past, we touched on using caution with being influenced by others. But what if a sneaky little tendency called pride is hard at work sabotaging our efforts? When you think about it, it's so very easy to apply labels to ourselves. And unfortunately, a natural but unintended consequence is that we then become enslaved to this or that label or quote-unquote self-created identity. And truthfully, it can feel like the right thing to do, to take on an identity based on our career choice or our hobby or our interests or even a social cause or political affiliation or really just any kind of worldly affiliation. And there are benefits to being part of something bigger than ourselves, but those benefits will eventually wilt and decay when they are not coming from a spiritual foundation. The problem is when we become essentially enmeshed with a label. And enmeshment is when personal boundaries are blurred and there is no clear separation between who we are and what beliefs and perspectives the label stands for. So in this case, labels take such a stronghold in our life that the boundaries defining our identity kind of dissolve. And it's so subtle, y'all. And part of this problem is the pride that tempts and teases us with a desire to label ourselves. So before adopting labels as essential parts of our identity, we are essentially free. It reminds me of the Bible verse that says we must become as little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Children just are. They live in the moment. They don't analyze the moment. They don't label all the things in the moment and have an opinion about them all. They just observe and experience. Brings a whole nother definition to be still and know, doesn't it? But it's almost like as we grow up, society is tempting us with all these potential identities and often even advertising them. And the one strewn all before us as lofty accomplishments happen to be attained through associations or effort. So, of course, the end result here is pride, and it just feels so good. I love the quote circling around that says, 
The teacher asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said happy. They said I don't understand the assignment, but I said no, you don't understand life. So all these identities attained through confining ourselves to a label or two because they are confining. If you think about it, they're really more like a cheap TV shopping deal where they say, buy this today, only today, and get a free gift. So if we fall for it and we do adopt a label or two or three, we get to feel proud for free. That's our free gift. So suddenly we belong to a group of people who share a label or two with us. And not only is the pride satisfying, but now because of the association with others, we get validation too. I mean, who doesn't enjoy validation? So to get right to the point here, in this example, we are essentially constructing our worldly identity. And hear this, along with this identity comes an invisible prison that we are completely unaware of. You don't believe me yet? Let's go a little deeper. Now, community and belonging are good things, but here's the fine line. They're only good as long as you don't start putting your mind and heart there before a spiritual communion with Christ. Same thing with our actions and our accomplishments. They're great, so long as we don't start identifying with them and letting this identity replace the one that we are gifted with through Jesus. Jesus gives us a foundation that says, reject these worldly traps and live free with me. It's mental and it's spiritual. It's the difference in the person who enjoys the sunshine on the field of flowers and the person who looks at the same scene and sees a bunch of weeds. Where do you think the second person's mind is? You could simplify this example and say the person who sees the weeds may be used to a thinking style of conformity, and the person who sees the flowers in the sun is used to seeing things without labels. I mean, it's likely in the scenario that they are weeds. I mean, especially if you ask a weed control company selling yard spray, right? But what would a child see? They haven't learned these labels and definitions yet, right? They see flowers. Well, the difference as an adult is that we know they are weeds. A child doesn't. But as an adult, we get to choose if we apply the label or not. That's, that's the whole point of we must become as little children in, the, in this example. So we, we know they're weeds, but we get to choose if we apply that label or not. Or do we view this as a child? So who gets the freer and happier result in their thinking? Now, apply this same example to our identity to really understand freedom versus constricted living. First, let's take a look at identifying with things other than our place within the body of Christ. Think about this. How often do people introduce themselves as their job title? Hello, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a fill-in-the-blank. I'm a teacher. I'm a retail associate. I'm a banker. I'm a surgeon, a designer, manager, customer service rep. I mean, you get the point. Again, this isn't bad unless this chosen identity becomes more important than it should. I mean, let's be honest. 
A tragic truth is that some people reach a point of complete loss of hope and self-worth when they lose their job. And yes, I know for many, the main impact is a loss of income. But if people really need income, I mean, let's be honest, they'd be willing to take almost any job to pay the bills. So I know the reasons vary here, but my point is that for some people, their job is their life. It's their entire identity. And it's not their fault, but let's go a little deeper. So it's their entire identity. They've, they've let it become that. It's their only source of pride or sense of worth. And without it, they, they just feel lost. And even worse sometimes, they just feel completely hopeless. Their thinking has become so restricted that they can't see a future beyond the job. Now, a person who has lost a job but did not make this job a large part of the identity, well, that person maintained freedom in this regard. So when this person gets laid off, they might observe the situation um, and be able to think of other better opportunities because they're just in a, in a state of observing, not making this personal about them, you know. And when you're sitting back, you're looking at things, um, you're, you're coming at it from an open, opportunistic place. So this is the difference in restricted versus free thinking, old ways or new ways. We can be either worldly-minded or spiritually-minded. They're two very, very different things. Being worldly-minded means you have to see it to believe it. Being spiritually-minded means operating in faith and seeing opportunities that others completely miss. Stephen Covey wrote a really wonderful book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, honestly, this title is one of the most boring book titles I think I have ever heard of. But for whatever reason, 20 years ago in Rowan's, it was a local used bookstore. I just picked it up and I flipped through it and I had to have it. Covey's book wasn't blatantly religious. It was definitely business oriented throughout. But the main point, in my opinion, was that... There are things within our control and things that are not within our control. And he called this distinction the circle of concern because if it was outside of our control, then it should be outside of our concern too. Boom, life-changing. But more closely related to our topic today is that he proposed all the various things in life that we all engage with just as part of this human experience. He presented them all as options for us to choose from to be the center of our universe. That's the way he put it. So who or what will fill this role in our life? It's up to us to decide. Will it be our job, our reputation in the community, our circle of friends, our associations, all the things that can validate us, our accomplishments, material things? Um, So... Again, it wasn't a religious book, but the point was clear. It became so easy to see that all these random things that we could choose as the focal point of our lives, 
our reputation or social associations, whatever we choose, short of a connection to the Holy Spirit, was bound to be unstable, easily destructible, and mainly restrictive and even sometimes dangerous. So in the end, there is one thing that is truly unshakable, one thing that will never fail, one thing that we can put our focus on and our trust in, and that is the one who made it all. And let me make a distinction here. I'm not talking about the one portrayed by other people through their own interpretations. Let me say that again. I'm not talking about the one portrayed by other people through their own interpretations. I'm talking about the one that you can know personally. And there's actually a little subtle trap that we can fall into here too. And that is making our relationship with God one that is actually very impersonal by spending more time doing ritualistic things and even excessive studying as our main way of connecting with Him rather than truly spending one-on-one time in His presence while in a prayerful, receptive state. Okay, if, if we're not doing that, we're approaching God in the same old worldly way. We must approach spiritual matters in the spiritual realm from the heart. And if it wasn't important for us to have an unshakable center of our universe or life experience, my opinion is religion would not exist globally. But the fact that it does speaks volumes. I mean, humanity and anything that stems from humanity can and will crumble and lead us astray. The entire book of Ecclesiastes will confirm this as it details how absolutely meaningless human striving and material things are in the end. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. So the issue is that despite so many people having faith in a creator, this old habit of leading with our minds instead of our hearts is causing us to stay trapped in a worldly perspective. We are placing so much value on material things, and sometimes over the feelings of those we love, too. We are valuing our careers over our time off, um, and, and that's the part of our life that's not spent making money. I mean, that's, that's pretty important. We are valuing conformity, praising anyone who follows worldly customs and anyone who wins awards for regurgitating basically what they've been told is wisdom, all the while ignoring God's real indestructible wisdom. And this is not uncommon for Christians too. Folks, we need to pause and evaluate our thought tendencies. What are we valuing? Does it line up with our Heavenly Father's advice? When we don't take the time to self-evaluate, the end result is that this produces a bunch of followers instead of leaders in the body of Christ. 
people following whatever they've put into the center of their universe, and often unknowingly. And here's a big one. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of trusting someone to the point that their perceptions and their beliefs become our own. And if they present themselves as credible due to reputation or credentials, then that can give us the confidence to sort of piggyback off of them and feel confident proclaiming their truths as our own. So let's look at this another way. Whenever expectations or reputation or material things become a focal point in a person's life, it's like putting on a particular pair of glasses each day. So one person always wears the achievement lenses and the other person always wears the status lenses. Okay, those are examples. Some people put on victim glasses too. These people have chosen to identify with any hardships that they have endured. Not that they have, have endured hardships or not. We all endure hardships, right? But they have chosen to identify with those hardships. And because it has become their identity, they will now focus on any wrongdoings that they perceive as being directed at them from others. They'll likely miss any good happenings too, because they're not looking for that. But what if instead they had chosen to just think that unfortunate things have happened without them having any meaning in regards to their self-worth or their identity? This example is a good one to explain. How if someone has chosen to truly identify as a child of God first and foremost, then the truths that God has told us would likely prevent this person from believing they are just destined to be treated wrong their whole life. Truths like, God calls me beloved because I am so valuable to him. Truths that say, it's okay to be imperfect. You're forgiven. And I love you so much that I would and I did die for you. So someone else wears glasses and... That might make them feel like they're armed with truth just because they have chosen to believe someone with some kind of reputation. We talked about that earlier. And they get up every day, they put those glasses on, and so literally everything they say and do and think about is now restricted to being in relation to how things might serve or hinder this purpose or view in life because it's their center of their universe. And they don't realize it, but actually they are followers because they're following this all-important goal or mindset, or should we say, false God, false God. And friends, we have been warned about this. So let's be clear about what this means. The human mind is so very impressionable. So think about all the ways we are influenced to make any number of things the center of our universe the lens through which we filter so much of our life experience. If you start thinking critically, it opens into an opportunity to really question and evaluate a lot of things. And when we step back into openness and observation as our new way of being, well, that's when we give God a chance to speak to us. Stepping back is always good. So there you have it. How easy is it for us to worship false gods 
to put something other than God in the middle of our mental and spiritual universe, to then have all of our thoughts and opinions skewed because of this lens that we wear each day, it's pretty easy indeed. This, friends, this is how we are trapped in mental and spiritual enslavement, I'm telling you. Now, Christ, he came to set us free. And y'all, he wants to keep us on the right track. And here's the paradox. By following his rules, we are free of worldly ways, which they may seem admirable, but they're really binding and restrictive. So look at these examples. If we are striving to please others, we are bound to their expectations. If we are striving to achieve this or that, we are bound to accomplishment. If we are striving to be any certain way, we are bound to an image or an identity. If we are striving for revenge, we are bound to our anger or pain. You've heard of, you know, forgive, forgive this person, not for the other person, but for yourself. That would be relevant here. If we are striving for acceptance or acknowledgement, we are bound to validation from others. If we are constantly striving for material things, we are bound to a mindset of lack. If we are striving for reverence, we are bound to worldly credentials and reputation or desiring those things. So the list could go on and on. But the point is, a life of striving is not what Christ is about. His offer is to abandon all this garbage and live free with him. Remember to set your focus each day on observing your own thoughts. That's the key. Question them. And finally, remember that we have a choice to default to worldly discernment or spiritual guidance. Freeing our mind can be done, and we will reap the benefits as we do. We have a choice to stay alert and take the driver's seat or be driven around mercilessly by our own or others' unquestioned narratives. Well, friends, this concludes part two of our series on freeing the mind. I'll drop a short midweek inspiration show around Thursday, and I'll meet you back here early next week for part three of freeing the mind, which will be our final episode in this series. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful week.